Welcome to Godcast, where we talk all things Bible, Jesus, and God. I'm James, this is Josh. Hello. And welcome to Godcast. On this episode, we are going to talk about some hard truths of the Bible. We've actually got about four different topics that we're going to talk about in this episode. So, so I think it'd be best if we get it started quicker. On this episode, we have uh, a feature of... James Johnson. Big James. You can you can introduce yourself. You uh, hi guys, I'm uh, James Johnson. Uh, I've been I've been preaching since 2010 when I accepted the call, and uh, right now I serve in the same church as these guys at Maslin in Maslin <clears throat> at United Free Will, uh, and I'm preacher, and I do a Bible study on Sunday nights as well. So, yep, that's me. All right. Uh, to get us started into this episode, Josh, would you like to pray us in this? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can gather and worship you, Lord. I just ask that you just be with us uh, today. Um, I ask that you just, just help us help us learn something, help us uh, help us reach people, and uh, just at least we can just reach one person. That's that's all I ask, Lord. That's all we ask. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So. <clears throat> We specifically wanted to do uh, these topics, the hard truths of the Bible, with James, because he is um, very very yeah he, he he's very good he's very good at talking about these type of topics and so and Shapiro love him <laughs> yeah, but, but we really, I, I don't know nobody no can pressure. reach that no <laughs> yeah, but but uh, these are these are the kind of topics that I think James specializes with so yeah so we're, it's good that. Uh, I think this was a good feature for these kind Absolutely. of topics. In fact, we actually had him choose the the kind of topics that we that we were going to do today. And uh, the first one that we're going to do is uh, the lie or the misconception that God doesn't give more than you can handle. Uh, Josh did the specific research on that uh, topic, so if you'd like to. Yep. All right. So I want to... Uh, First Corinthians. <laughs> I was flipped in Second Corinthians for some reason. That was uh, that was a mistake of mine. <laughs> uh, this is actually something that I have said before. That uh, it's gonna step on my toes a little bit. <laughs> it did researching uh, this, and I went to First Corinthians ten verse thirteen because a lot of people actually go to this <clears throat> to prove why he doesn't give us more than we can handle, and it reads. <clears throat> there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, the reason why people say that is because uh, it says, <clears throat> God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above ye able. So, but like, <laughs> basically what I'm, what I'm gathering from that is because it says that he offers a way out of that, which is him. And thinking about like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Really, we can't handle anything. It's, it's all God. Yeah. That's one of the things that I was thinking about, which was like, because the same as you is that I also thought about this uh-huh. and that like. We, if God only let things happen to us that we can handle, mm-hmm. it's it's a kind of the same thing 
what I was thinking about where I was like, why does God allow bad things to happen? Because if God didn't give us things that we wouldn't be able to handle, mm-hmm. what would ever make us realize that we need God in the first place? Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's how I kind of uh, thought about it, where it's like, bad things and things that we have no control over kind of need to happen in order for us to understand how much we need God. So one of the things, too, that you need to look at, so great verse, right, that you picked out. A lot of people like to focus on this. And one of the the first rules of Bible study, uh, and, and as you start to do this, is you learn that you don't just look at the verse, right? You look before and after the context of the verse. And what you would find out in this passage that you read, if you go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 10, mm-hmm. what Paul is actually addressing to the people of Corinth here is a problem with idolatry, idol worship. And so, and that's what it's talking about. The only way out of idol worship is a focus on God. So God offers you the idol worship exit, right? And I mean, and even in the verse afterwards, in verse 14, he says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from adultery. So that is actually what this whole temptation that's being talked about in this verse uh, that you read is actually talking about. It's, it's, it's temptation to worship idols. And today we have that everywhere. Mm-hmm. We have idols all around us. <laughs> you know, we have created so many idols. Uh, unfortunately, in our, in our society, you know, we have athletes that are idols. We have movie stars, musicians, and you can just keep going and going Even and going. Even smaller things like your phone. Yeah, I mean... Any phone. Anything can okay. potentially be. Yourself can be an idol. If you're not careful, pastors of a church can become an idol. Mm-hmm. It, it, it all depends on how you look at things, right? But, but this verse, that's, that's what that verse is actually talking about. But to sit there and say that phrase, right? That, that ultimate phrase... God never gives me more than I can handle. And I used to say that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I used to be a person that thought that, right? But but for me to say that God will never give me more than I can handle, who am I ultimately giving the power to in that statement? Myself. I'm giving it to me. Mm-hmm. So that's immediately I'm taking away the power from God, yeah. right? God is going to give me... <clears throat> There are times that God is going to give me a load that is hard to bear. Look at Job. Mm-hmm. Look what Job went oh, through, we right? We went to Job a lot in this. So. Right. I mean, Job is, if you want to talk about suffering, Job is suffering. Yeah, in, in a matter of minutes, everything was, yeah. his wealth was gone, his children gone, right. everything. Now, think about this. God told Satan in this whole scenario, right? He tells him, tells Satan, you can do anything you want, mm-hmm. just can't take his life. So ultimately, when you look at this whole thing that happened with Job, who set it up? God did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to show how strong that Job was physically or anything like in that. It showed his faith. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to those type of situations that we're in, what is truly being shown, right? Is it my physical strength or is it my spiritual strength? So we have to quit saying that God's never going to give me more than I can handle, and understand that that God is going to give me what He feels I am capable to handle. Yeah, it's a big difference, right? Mm. Because then, look, it depends on where I'm at in my spiritual walk. The earlier I am in my spiritual walk, God may not give me as much to bear. But you get to people that are in 15, 20 years, just into serving God. We're not even talking about ministries, just <laughs> serving God. Those people seem like they can handle a whole lot more. 
And it's not because physically they're any better. It's because of that spiritual growth that they've had. And it's it's what you do in the times right. that you have the... And a lot of people, my grandpa calls it like the fire that you have whenever yeah. you're first saved. And really, we can always have that fire. Yeah. Just never let it burn out. Well, yeah. And then... So the other side of that too is like look at somebody when they first get saved mm-hmm. what do they want more than anything God they want God they want everyone they know they are unfortunately they get a they, there's a phrase for them right and that's a firecracker Christian they light the fuse and unfortunately eventually it goes out you know so so and it's because all these trials all these troubles come on them and we're always quick to say off things like mm-hmm. well God won't ever give you more than you can handle mm-hmm and then how do if i'm having the worst year of my life Mm -hmm. is it going to do any good for somebody to come up to me and say you're never going to get more than you can handle no what do you think that's actually going to do that's going to draw them away not only that but it's going to make me feel bad about myself you know because because then they're going to be thinking like what am i doing wrong because you just said God doesn't give you more than I can handle, and right. I'm being and I can't tortured. handle this. Yeah, right. So, so it's one of those things that we should look. I understand, like we have phrases, but that's one phrase I wish the church would get away from. Mm-hmm. Because telling somebody that, and you know, what if I see somebody going through something, and I've talked to them, and I know that they are going through something similar, they're doing better at it than I am. Mm-hmm. What does that do? What does that do for me? Oh, now I'm going to start questioning my faith. Now I'm going to start questioning how close am I really to God. Now I'm going to even go as far as questioning, does God even care about my existence? Do you understand how quick things can spiral out of control? Oh, yeah. And, but, you know, I also think it, it almost depends on how you, how you translate that phrase for yourself. Because the way that you're saying it definitely does not, does not sound well. But I also think that some people can hear that phrase and think... God will only ever give me things that I can handle because if you if you can still understand that the strength all the strength that you get is from God and not tie the strength to yourself. The Bible says that you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. So I almost feel like it also depends on how you think about that phrase. You know, because like if you think like God will only give me what I can handle because no matter what God allows to happen to me, through him I can I can handle it. You know, I almost feel like there's almost a right way to take the phrase and a wrong way to take the mm-hmm. phrase. But too many times we look at we it the wrong. We, have, we look at it the wrong. Look way. what Job said: "God giveth, God taketh." Yeah, God. Yeah, Job. Job. Job is like an example of taking the phrase the right way. Like mm-hmm. where he he said he, is. he said he you know he said that the God is what gives me my strength, and so all these things that happen to me, I can handle it because. Uh, the whole uh, we actually started in our our live stream. We're gonna start doing a Bible study for the live stream, almost instead of just answering basic questions. And we're starting with doing a study on Job. We're starting with Job, and the when as we were reading our study Bible, and it was talking about how Job, <clears throat> the whole story of Job is about having a firm foundation, and the fact that Job was able to handle everything that happened to him because his foundation was God. His foundation wasn't any of the things that he had and all that stuff. And so if you can have that sort of, if if you have that sort of mentality, that phrase can mean something different. But most of the time it's used in kind of a, in the kind of context that you're talking about and to where it can be really detrimental hearing that. And 
and as you said, start questioning things. Right. And, and all yeah. that. Uh, the one of the casting crown songs of Second Opinions, it kind of talks about that um, how uh, the church <laughs> says God doesn't give me more than I can handle. The truth is, we can't handle anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? I. Look, I forget what verse it is off the top of my head. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm-hmm. right? And so, that, I mean, that is exactly it. So that means no matter what, I can handle anything, right? So I shouldn't limit myself to what I am feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what happens to us. We get beat down. Yeah. And, and we all do. And if you haven't been beat down yet, you're going to get beat down. I'm sorry. I mean, there's no easier way to put it's, it. It's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Jesus himself said it's inevitable. Right. Yeah, I mean, Jesus was beat down. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've said it time and time again. There are three types of people in this world. You're either going into the storm, you're in the storm, or you're coming out of the storm. And if you're out of it, get ready because you're going to go back in. Go back in yeah. You're one of the three. Right? And unfortunately, it's the way it works. But how do we respond? Right? Do we look at that, well, how much can I handle? Or do we look at the verse? And do we look at that where it says, I can do all things? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that, that God never said that I can do, that you can only do some things. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do all things. And again, that kind of gets taken out of context. We may take that a little too far. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we expect to be able to heal our loved ones. We may, well, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, forget the other part. you got to do things within his will, mm-hmm. not my will. And then also, just like we say, like, we, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that you're going to be, like, 100% at all times. Right. Saying, that you, saying that you can, I feel like the phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is better said i can make it through all things through christ who strengthens me that doesn't mean that you're going to be right. like gung-ho just charging through Rambo everything right? yeah that, it means yeah. that you'll make it through that even if it's just crawling out you know right like, exactly yeah. look I'm, I'm gonna make it i mean look yeah. at paul paul was gonna make it to an island and he had to float in on a broken piece of wood you know but he got there right yeah. you know yeah. that, that's what matters he got there and yeah. you know it, look I think too many times we look at it like, what's our end goal, right? Our end goal is heaven. Mm-hmm. And I think we focus on these type of phrases way too much. And what it comes down to is, ultimately, I just need to get there. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, what was it? I can't remember specifically, but the, the, the verse about the race being run. And that the people who make it to heaven are the people who finish the race. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the fact that you might, it might not be glorious, but as right. long as you win, as long as you finish the race, you're making it to heaven. As long yeah. as you stick with God until the end, you'll make it to heaven. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews chapter twelve, and it says, "Wherefore," and it's verses one and two of Hebrews twelve. Wherefore, saying, "We also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith." Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, how are we supposed to run our race? With patience, right? Understanding this is a marathon. This ain't a sprint. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to get there. It's just how we. How are you going to get there? Is how it ends up. And, and that's not saying there's multiple ways to heaven. Yeah. But but what I mean is, how are you going to get there? Are you going to get there on a broken piece? 
are you getting on there on a broken piece of the boat? 99% of us, absolutely, that's how we're getting there, yeah. right? Nobody is going to make it through unscarred getting there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, to shift gears a little bit, so another topic, because these topics, we, we asked Big James. Uh, these topics aren't really related. It's, it's hard. It's going to be a hard transition. <laughs> we're going to take hard turns. <laughs> yeah, and we're so gonna so, so, so the, this hard turn is Jesus <clears throat> went to hell. <laughs> Happy Easter! <laughs> hey, it's the perfect time to talk yeah, about and it. Really. We talk about foot washing today. This is perfect. Yeah, but but Jesus went to hell. Now this verse kind of relates to it, but it doesn't. It's gonna be <laughs> no, way, no way you said that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So this verse is gonna relate. However, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. So Revelation. Now this is. Big James had uh, a Bible study uh, a couple years ago about Daniel and Revelation. Uh, you like Revelation, obviously, and you got excited whenever I told you we were going. I love Revelation. <laughs> yeah. So Revelation 1 and verse 18 says, well, I'm going to yeah. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. So basically, something that something that I thought is how did he get the keys to hell, mm-hmm. right? And that was he went down and to to act and people, you know, I was looking. People say, well, there's no evidence that he went down. Well, in First Peter chapter three, verse nineteen and twenty, it says, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Meaning, uh, basically Hades or hell, if you want to call it Hades, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So, and we're going to get into this verse again with one of James's, the other James's topic, but basically he went down and preached to souls. And gave them a chance to come back. And the eight souls that were saved was Noah and his family, basically. <laughs> so, uh-huh. let's, let's start from the beginning. Uh-huh. One of the hardest things for a Christian to believe mm-hmm. is my Savior <clears throat> went to hell. It's a very hard thing for us to believe. Because, first of all, he's Jesus, mm-hmm. right? He lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life in accordance to his father's will. He's the only one to ever do it, yeah. right? He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he was meant to do that because he was supposed to be the perfect, spotless lamb chosen for the sacrifice for all of mankind. But people don't want to accept the fact that scripturally we learn First Peter is a perfect spot, that Jesus, he, he went and got the keys to death and hell. Do you think Satan met him in the tomb for that? Do you think that in his do you think that in his final moment of his life before he gave up his life? Now let's understand that. Let's Jesus didn't die; he gave up his life. Um, but do you think in those final moments Satan came to him and said, "All right, here you win." Do you really think that happened? No, he had to go get that, right? And he took what was his. And and it's always been his. 
but he had to go get it. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Peter talks about this. He was in the prison. Well, in this context, this prison, if you go back to the original language, is talking about hell. Mm-hmm. And that's where he went. And there are scholars out there that believe that in those moments was led a salvation. And it's the only time salvation would have been offered to people in hell. And the reason for that is because now the true atonement of sins has arrived. Yeah. And there's scholars that say that. And they pull that from this verse. And the eight souls thing relating to Noah, that's... They're split on that whenever you look at that. This is a highly controversial topic that if you bring this up in the right church, you can cause that church to split. Like, like this is how much this this is. is. This is stuff that made the original church split. (laughs) I mean, because people couldn't take that. Mm -hmm. The way... The way that I thought whenever I was listening to those verses right now was that, you know, because it says that Jesus got the keys to hell. Mm -hmm. And I I definitely think that Jesus went down to hell. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear about that, I think. But the one thing I'm thinking of is, would he have had to go down to hell to actually get the keys of hell? Considering, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Satan who made hell. You know, why, why would Satan have the keys to hell? It seems like something that would always have been in the possession of God and of Jesus. Now, having said that, I still believe that Jesus went down to hell for one purpose or the or the other. But I don't know. In my in my mind, it just doesn't seem to make sense that Jesus would have to get the keys of hell from Satan and it makes sense in my head that God would always that God would always have that you know what I mean so you guys know I'm a (laughs) I'm a lyrics or I'm a music guy right Mm -hmm. and you know a good friend of all of ours sitting here uh, Jim McComas sung a song that Michael Combs wrote years ago and Michael Combs wrote a song that was called I'll be back and one of the greatest things and I remember these are song lyrics right but whenever whenever you know the people that actually sing these songs outside of the original writer, mm-hmm. they will sing these songs when they are buried in biblical truths, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the phrases in there, it says, after they laid, or this is one of the verses, after they laid my sweet Jesus in the tomb, he got up and took a trip down below, showed the devil that he had lost the battle for man's soul. And so... Whenever you look at that, and then you look at the verses like what we read, look, I, I honestly think that he had to go get them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Satan was going to, you know, willingly give them, especially because think about this, up until that point, you know, think about, you know, what, what we celebrated yesterday and Good Friday, right? One of the, it's Good Friday, one of the worst things that could have happened, but it became the best thing for all of mankind. And at that moment, Satan won, right? That's what's going through his head. He won, you know, because he didn't fully understand what was going to happen. And so then I just, I just, I, I do, I envision Jesus just... Drop kicking Satan. <laughs> I know, I just envision him approaching him and just ripping them from his hands mm-hmm. and, and taking that trip into hell. And those people getting an opportunity to see their salvation, you know, and we understand that now, though, that'll never happen again. 
that there's no reason for it to happen again, right? Everybody has that opportunity, but it's just, when you think about that, but just, look, I understand there are probably going to be people that are going to listen to this and go, he's crazy, you know, but you know, he's crazy, but it in the Bible, (laughs) but but you know what, study it, Yeah, you know, that's the thing, right? Study it out, find out, and uh, because I didn't believe this at first, and the more I studied, the more people I talked to, and they're like, well, how else do you think he got them? He had to go get it. And there are other beliefs out there, too. And we ain't going to get into every single one of the beliefs of why he went there. Because some of them are just far-fetched. Right? Because, just for one, for an example, I don't think this is anywhere near true. He had to go to hell because he was covered in sin. No, that's... Look, he took the sin of mankind, the sin of the world, onto the cross. <clears throat> metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Right? He didn't become... You know, he became sin who knew no sin. Right, but that didn't mean he was a murderer. That didn't mean he was, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people will use that. No, he just he went and got what was his, because it was him who holds in Revelation. It comes back to tell us he still holds those keys, and he's going to use those keys, and that's going to be when he is going to, well, not him, study it out. An angel is going to bind Satan, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. We talked. We talk, actually talked about that. It, it's like Jesus didn't even like want vengeance. Like he didn't want revenge. Because if he did, then he probably would have went himself. That just shows how much how, how much more righteous Jesus is. He's like perfect, and it's just awesome. Um, Good like All right. Well then, I believe that wraps up Jesus that going topic. to hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Happy Easter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll go on to, we'll move on <clears throat> to the next topic, which is that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Mm-hmm. That's very controversial. Yeah. There's a, Especially, lot, there's a lot of people. Doesn't, don't the Catholic believe that that's how you get? So it, <clears throat> one thing I'm going to try not to do is get into exactly which denominations or beliefs believe what. Mm-hmm. But baptism is struck in more controversy than just whether or not it's meant for salvation. Yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it comes down to just how you do baptism. Oh yeah. that what's that what's the right way to baptize somebody? Do you do you dip? Do you go forward? Do you go backwards when you dunk? I think you do it how Jesus did it. Okay, but there are those that practice otherwise. There are those that will practice, yeah. you know, just the head. There it's are just those, an outward expression. That will take a bottle of blessed water and they will just walk up to you and I really wish that we had a camera. They would just go like this, you know. <laughs> they would just sprinkle you. Just shake it, shake it in your yeah, face it, like, it, a, it like was, a salt it, shaker. It was a sprinkle, right? And that was <laughs> baptism. But all it is is just an outward expression. That, and that's it. And my problem is, is when people go, it's a requirement for salvation. No, it's not. Uh, greatest example of that. Is the thief on the cross, right? The thief on the cross who acknowledged who Jesus was. And look, he was told, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't remember Jesus coming down off the cross, taking him to the cross, going over to the river and taking a dip. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't remember him doing anything to baptize this guy. Um, Personally, for me, I had an issue with this. Um... I did have an experience where my father uh, was saved. He was attending a different church than what I was, a totally different denomination. And my father at the time was a double amputee, 
in a wheelchair mm -hmm. and was told they needed to get him baptized so he would be saved. And they called it being baptized in the Holy Ghost, is what they referred to it as, and it was the completion of your salvation. And <clears throat> that was hard for me because I've grown up free will Baptist my entire life. Um, and every teaching I've ever had, which is backed up scripturally, says that I don't have to be saved, or I don't have to be baptized to be saved, right? I have to prayer. be. I have to be saved to be baptized. Now understand that you should never do anything that is uh, what we believe are the ordinances of God, unless you are saved, right? There are three ordinances of God. There's the baptism, and then there's foot washing and communion. We're probably going to get into all that, but <laughs> but those things you better be saved before you take part in those. It doesn't go the other way around. But so many people hang themselves on, I went and got saved. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've been forgiven of my sins. I have to go get baptized now to complete the process. That's not what it is. And the people who believe that baptism is the only way, you can, uh, you can, uh, get baptized and then fully not believe in Jesus and you're not saved yeah. you're not because the Bible clearly talks about what it takes to be saved and that's in Romans 10 uh, I believe I found it yesterday where's Romans there it is, there it is. actually let me, let me go to it uh, Romans uh, 10 it says uh, the sub point salvation is for everyone uh, let me actually find it you guys keep talking <laughs> well you know uh, here and what I and what I was talking about uh, in this baptism. In this baptism. Uh, first, I just have a straight definition of baptism here, which I believe I got. I believe I got this. Uh, this is something from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, baptism is a public declaration of your personal decision to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. It's a declaration that the old has gone and the new is here. And I put after that my own little thoughts on it. And what I said here, what I put down here is it would not make sense for baptism to be the way of salvation, as the very purpose of baptism is to display your salvation. How could you be displaying something that you do not initially have? And that's that's yeah. my th yeah. um, that's something that I put. Romans Romans ten verse nine it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right there it talks about you're saved as long as you confess that Jesus is your Savior, and that he, and he died for our sins and raised. And a lot of people take this, you know, a lot of these different beliefs, right, are mostly out-of-context scripture reading. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Peter. That's what it is, right. Peter. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 29 through 34, talks about Jesus being baptized, right? Mm -hmm. And it even talks about in there, he is being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Um, but Jesus wasn't saved. Right? Jesus didn't need to be saved. He didn't need salvation. Yeah, he's he, Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
But what he did, what the whole purpose of the baptism there was following his father's ordinance, right? And not only that, but what happened after his baptism? What is the very first thing we see? Uh, he went. He went to. Uh, he was tempted, right? No, come back. Come back. Come back. It's the very first thing after he is baptized. What is? What does he see? What does John see? He sees God a, descending. He sees God. God descending in the form of a dove, okay. and he says, "This is my son, <clears throat> in whom I'm well pleased." And it is that moment that John realizes he is in the presence of the Messiah, he is in the presence of God. The whole baptism there was for people to bear record of who this was. You know, because you gotta imagine, there's more than, you know, the Bible doesn't clearly say this, but John was there baptizing others. It wasn't just that he showed up to baptize Jesus, right? He is there baptizing others, and he's doing this because he felt, felt led to do this by God. And then, so all these people are gathered around, and here comes this guy that comes walking up. Yeah, it was and a, goes, like cousins. Yeah, it's his cousin, right? But to all these other people, they don't know who's coming up. And and so here comes Jesus, and he gets baptized, and all of a sudden, God speaks to the people audibly, right? I mean, John heard it. So if John heard it. You got to imagine everybody <clears throat> else heard it, right? You have to go way, way, way back for the last time God did this, right? You got to go way back. I, you know, I may be mistaken in this, but off the top of my head, the last time I can remember him doing this is when he spoke to Moses, right? From from a bush, you know. So now here's everybody, and now we have introduced Jesus, the Messiah, to the world. Is basically what just took place. There was a reason for that baptism. Yeah, and I got. Yeah, if you, if you no, have, go I got two things. First thing is, I'll go ahead and I'll read this little this little passage right here, which is right when Jesus was baptized and what he's talking about uh, in Matthew. I'm reading uh, from Matthew uh, chapter three. Verse 16 uh, through 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the whole thing, like, because Jesus didn't need... Jesus didn't need to be baptized. No. And, and truth be told, nobody needs to be baptized. Mm -hmm. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's not a requirement to make it into heaven. But the but I believe that Jesus got baptized, not only just because it's what his father wanted, but because he was also setting an example for what people should do. Because I do believe that people should be baptized. And, and also, you know, this is this is Jesus, the Son of God. So of course, so God is going to audibly speak and literally des descend his spirit on him like that. So, but, so that's not going to happen to us. You know, when we get baptized, we don't hear the audible voice of God. We're going to be something. really happy. But, but I feel like this is another thing which is showing why people should get baptized even whenever it's not something for salvation is that this is something that God wants you to do. It's an outward expression of your faith. It's showing that you're not ashamed to be with God. Mm -hmm. And I and I feel like that's also I feel like that's also why another reason that Jesus did it and was and was showing the example of getting baptized. 
is that the outward expression of baptism is showing that you're not ashamed of God. And even though we might not get the audible voice of God and a dove descending on us, I definitely believe that when we get baptized, the same sort of thing happens and that God is well pleased with us mm -hmm. because we're showing that we're not ashamed of being with him. And then the net and then the last thing that I actually have is a question which I asked a while ago. And but I'm gonna ask it here because I don't know I you might know the the answer. Why is it that Jesus' words are written in a different color so that we can know know that it's Jesus, but God's words aren't written in a different color? Yeah, that would be really nice if, like, God's words were, like, blue. <laughs> like, purple or something? Yeah. Or gold? Well, okay, so traditionally, like, it wasn't always like this, right? Yeah. Traditionally, the red letter is used for the blood. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, God never shed blood. Jesus did. And so, traditionally, everything I've ever found is because of that. It's the representation of the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's why... It, red was chosen for him because he gave every drop of blood for us that's all i've ever been able to find on yeah, i just are there bibles I out just, there where it highlights god's word no. i just i just find it weird that we that we highlight jesus's words but not god's like if like you know if maybe they were like golden or something but, yeah but but yeah, but that, that was just an offhand that was just an offhand question that I that I, I thought about before. Like why aren't you know why aren't God's words in a different color? We move on to the next topic because I got something I like to say. Yeah, we're I, I, I think we're about I think we're pretty good with, with baptism. Alright. And so the next topic that we have is foot washing. And specifically that foot washing and communion need to be practiced in the church, although we're gonna focus more on foot washing. Because as as James had said before we started this podcast that communion is is practiced pretty pretty frequently in, in churches and stuff but foot washing should be practiced more than it is basically what i want to say is just up until the day that because we did our foot washing at our church in communion uh just we, last thursday yeah just last thursday uh, yeah technically <laughs> no yeah the, the last Thursday that we had. The Thursday of Holy Week. <laughs> yes. And uh, I wasn't originally going to do it. And James tried, you know, like, you should do it because Jesus did it. And I'm like, yeah, I might do it, but probably not. And then I talked to uh, Ricky, which we had him on the podcast uh, just a few weeks ago. And I told him what we were going to be talking about today. And he's like... So you said you're not going to do the foot washing, but you're going to be talking about it? I'm like, uh... <laughs> so I decided to do the foot washing, and it was very humbling. It was... It was uh, Jesus did it, I mean... <laughs> yeah, and so I think the first thing is obviously just... I'll read quickly the verses that I... Of, of Jesus washing feet. Uh, John 13, I'll just read 4 through 9. Uh, that's wrong. John 13, 4 verse 9. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered unto him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So, 
the thing so the thing about foot washing here what i have written down about it i don't have any commentary from anybody else but just the things that i think about foot washing what i think is right and so what i have here is foot washing is a practice of being humble and a physical reminder that we as jesus christ did should live to serve not only our brothers and sisters in christ but the whole world foot washing needs to be practiced for those precise reasons it is a major reminder that this is how jesus was and we should be too uh, i was focusing mostly there on the aspect of that foot washing is meant to is meant to be a humble gesture and that it was the foot washing was what servants did back then and jesus said multiple times throughout his ministry that he came here to serve and so uh, the foot washing should be practiced commonly because that's how we are supposed to live our life as as jesus did which is to serve people and to serve god and so being practiced in the church uh, yeah uh, is the question I don't have the answer. <laughs> so, I was I was studying that one. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, foot washing should be because it's it's a as I said it's a physical reminder it's a physical expression of being humble, and so that's what I think. We James has the big James has the answer though. <laughs> I don't know if I have the answer. So okay, so you start to touch on it, James, mm-hmm. on who did the foot washing, and it was done by a servant. And but let's also look at the time period when it happened, right? Why was foot washing essential? Because it didn't just happen with Jesus, right? Foot washing was a custom of the day. And if you study that out and you look at the history of that, foot washing was a very custom thing because people walked miles, miles across dirt, desert, rock, you name it, and they brought it all home. Oh, let's not forget the pastures where the livestock was and they brought it all home feet were nasty (laughs) so it was custom that you actually when you went into a house you washed your feet before going into right Mm -hmm. you you would enter wash your feet continue and there was a tradition behind it there was a custom right and jesus gave a reason right jesus gave the reason but a lot of churches look I, i pastored a church that I could not get them to understand the necessity behind foot washing, which was a great burden on myself because I understand why. And I'm not saying they didn't, well, they obviously, I don't think they, they just didn't understand. <laughs> well, their reason behind it was, well, it's a different custom today. One person even said that their version of foot washing is that they clean the bathrooms in the church. I'm like, no, no, it's not the same thing, right? Jesus did it, like like you said. He lowered himself to a servant. You understand what that is? The Savior lowered himself to a servant to wash common man's feet, right? And he's our king. <laughs> he's so when you see this take place in the church, we understand what's happening. Are, are we doing... Are we we trying to make ourselves like Jesus in this? No, we're not, okay? Um, But we're doing it because he told us to. And the reason why we do it is because it lowers us to a whole new level, right? It it is a very, it's it's an ordinance built around humility. I have to humble myself 
love to wash somebody's feet. Think about it. Think about what you have to do to do foot washing. Do you do it standing up or do you do it from a knelt position? Knelt position. Right? So what does that ultimately get you to do? It gets you to drop to your knees, right? And whenever you do the foot washing, you know, if you are truly embracing foot washing, truly embracing it, are you thinking about the person that is sitting in front of you or are you thinking about how you've read that Jesus did the exact same thing? What do you, what do you think about in those situations? I, you know, I think we think a little bit of both, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, oftentimes people pair up and they, and however they pair up, you know. But I've seen some churches, whenever it comes time to do the preacher, the pastor of the church, the whole church washes their feet. I, I've seen it done that way. Because when you think about what the pastor is for the church, yeah. you know, but that's neither here nor there. It's... Do you think that that's idolizing a pastor? No, I don't think it is. If you are truly doing it the way you are humbling yourself to serve the servant of God, right? That I mean, you have to start there. Do you have a pastor who believes they are nothing more than a servant of God? We do. Mm-hmm. But there are pastors out there that think they're more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's where you have to look. If you are called into any form of a ministry, it doesn't matter what your ministry is, you are nothing more than a servant of God. Nothing more. You are called to serve, and that's it. You are called to do what God tells you, nothing more, nothing less. You are called to serve. And to lower yourself now below that level, to wash feet, right? Think about this. Yeah, feet are disgusting. <laughs> but, but, but think about that. That was a servant. And a lot of times, let's let's be straight up honest. I know this is a touchy subject, but what were servants in these houses nine times out of ten? Slaves. They were slaves. Mm-hmm. You lowered yourself to the status of a slave to do the work that nobody wanted to do. And this ain't the only time we've seen this in scripture. You know, you know, there's the there are so many different places where it talks about humility and humbling yourselves. I mean, the prodigal son lowered himself to the level of a servant to feed the hogs, and then he slept with him because he had nowhere else, right? Those were all servants' jobs. If, I think if we truly embrace foot washing as it's meant to be, as you're supposed to do, right? And I mean, you have to embrace this. You will find that it is a humbling experience because now you are truly understanding what it means to be a servant. And I'm not talking about, you know, some people use that, that, that you're a slave to God. And, and I'm not going into that type of a detail with it because, first of all, I don't like that phrase. Um, because I have a choice every single step of my way I have a choice of what I do right? but I'm lowering myself to a servant's level to serve the Almighty if you can't get a humbling experience out of that check your heart yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> Let, let's put you on the altar let's pray over you and then let's have you go back and do it again and see if you're more humble about it you yeah. know what I mean yeah but, so many churches today won't practice it. Mm-hmm. They will do communion. Oh, we'll do communion. Oh, we'll do communion every Sunday. I don't like that. Am I allowed to talk about that? I don't yeah, like no. that either. Yeah, talk about anything. <laughs> I love the fact of how communion should be embraced. Again, look at what, what it represents, right? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, whenever you do communion, do you go so far as to take the communion wafer or whatever you're using? Do you break it before you put it in your mouth? That's something I started doing years ago. Really? I accidentally did it this last time. <laughs> I held the wafer. I've, all, I've, I've always taken it, and this is just me. Don't understand. You don't have to do what I'm about ready to say. I do. But I'll take it and I'll crack it. I'll break it. Because it's a broken body. Right? And that broken body is a representation. Right? And then we, we use we use uh, grape juice as the blood. And it's a representation. Right? Mm -hmm. Again, that is a humbling experience whenever you sit there and you understand <clears throat> what it means. Right? We are celebrating what will become the broken body of Christ for our salvation. And he said, and he said in that, this do in remembrance of me. Never forget what he did for us. And that's what that means. So I have a problem whenever I do it every single week. Because what do I start to lose as I do it more and more? What does it become? The, the meaning and value. Right. It, it, because it, be, it just becomes a tradition. It's, tradition. A, it, it's a tradition. It's a habit, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want anything in my walk with Christ to be a habit. I don't want that. I want a genuine experience. And now, is there a right number of times to do communion? I don't think there. I think there isn't a right number as long as you are not going to the traditional edge, right? I know some churches that do it once every four months. I know some that do it twice a year. I know some that'll do it once a year. Mm -hmm. Which way is right? I don't know. As long as it's not becoming something that you're just going through the motions on. It has to be a spiritual connection. And I'm going to tell you right now. I believe, if, especially when it comes to communion and foot washing, I truly, wholly believe there was a man. Uh, oh, what was his first name? His last name was Larison. I forget his first name. I know his son. His son's a preacher in West Virginia. He explained communion one day and I wholeheartedly agree with this guy if you take part in that and you are not saved you mock God in doing it that's how serious it should be taken right because of its representation I honestly I feel the same way about foot washing because <clears throat> Jesus lowered himself to that point right before he was going to the cross because he knew he was going yeah, that that's one of the things I was just thinking of. That's like, I'm not sure there's any other place in the Bible, at least recorded, where Jesus did communion and foot washing. I think these were the only two places, and so only or the only time where he did those things. So right before he was about to die, that's what he chose to do. Like that. Like think about the importance that he knows that he's about to go to the cross and these are what he does these are the things that he decides to do right before that like there's something important about yeah, yeah. these well, things yeah. that he decided <clears throat> to do those things do right. you know what Jew jewish tradition he was partaking in at the exact same time that this was going on which do you know which feast it was it was I feel the, like i heard it before but i can't remember it's the feast of the passover okay and the feast of the passover is what you got to go all the way back to Exodus. It's in recognition when the angel of the, God, of the Lord passed over Egypt, and it, it was a, it was a, it was a very bad night if you were Egyptian born, because the firstborn 
was killed. Firstborn male was killed throughout all of Egypt. But that is what led Pharaoh to letting the 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 Hebrews go, right? So they started the tradition of the Passover feast, and this happened to be going on at the exact same time. And if you are a Jewish individual, this is a very serious moment for you. And here comes Jesus, and we're talking. There's a there's a feast, right? And he breaks it down to this two items everything there and when you realize the symbolism behind it right because he chose the bread because the bread could be broke he, he chose uh, you know in, in the Bible he chose wine now the biblical version of wine is not what we call wine today that's that's another that's part two um, <laughs> yeah. but he chose that because of the colorization and the representation was closest to the blood a lot of people believe and when you look at all that, in his final moments, right? We're talking, he did this, and in less than 24 hours, he gives up the ghost. Because this takes place on what we believe would be Thursday, right? And that's why we practice Monday Thursday, because that's when the Lord's Supper took place. By 3 p.m. Friday, Jesus gives up the ghost. And, it's all, and he commanded us to do one thing of all of that. And you know this doesn't you know this doesn't really I'm just kind of thinking of this because of the because of the uh, communion service that we had and what my dad talked about during that service where he was talking and he said how um, Jesus saying you know do these things in remembrance of me how that felt more like the 100% man part of Jesus because yeah. he was about he knows that he's about to die and stuff and you know I'm thinking about all the things that he's that he's doing so close to his death how he everything that he did in the like hours leading up to his death was only with the 12 disciples yes. he, he cut it down yeah. to the people closest to him and spent time with yeah. them it was a very intimate setting from final hour. from taking them up to the mountain to, to pray with him all you need to know they fell asleep right. to, <laughs> to just them eating together which as like my dad said during communion service you didn't just invite anybody over to eat with you that was and actually I actually just figured this out and just later on in verse 13 whenever uh, Jesus is telling them who's going to betray him obviously Judas and he takes the bread and he says that he's going to dip the bread and give it to the person who betrays him that's actually what you did when if you had guests and you had an honored guest that was how you would honor them was dip the bread and give it to them and so he honored his traitor oh, and what what and so many people like are so many people are totally against Judas for this, right? You needed him. It's like it's like it's like understandably, you know, right. you have like some feelings right. about Judas, because but it's like he's a he's a vital role that needed to happen. Do you, you know? do you right. think he was picked by accident? No. No, I think God knew the entire time. Jesus knew the entire time it was gonna be him, right? Mm-hmm. So. And uh, we turn our we turn our backs on on God just as much as Judas did. I mean, I, I, a lot every day we sin. So um, at this time, uh, closing thoughts. Anybody got any closing thoughts? If I do closing thoughts, we're gonna run out of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or a prayer. <laughs> yeah, I don't. 
Uh, I don't. I don't think we, any of us have any closing thoughts. I think we went. I think we went through these topics pretty well and and, and did all that stuff. Um, so at this time, um, we'll ask that you guys share the podcast with your friends, uh, loved ones, uh, family members, coworkers, um, everybody that you know. Um, I know a lot of people have friends on Facebook. Some people like uh, Wade Fisk have like a thousand because he invited a thousand people to our community page. So just invite your your friends to. Uh, Godcast community page. Um, we go live every Friday. Um, we are actually doing a Bible study on Job. We just got out of the first chapter. I don't know how long the second chapter is going to be, but <laughs> um, but yeah, ask us uh, questions. DM us on uh, Instagram. Uh, our uh, Instagram names will be uh, linked <laughs> below in the comment section or description. Uh, so. Uh, this time, Big James, do you want to pray us out? Yeah, I can do that. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do. Father, we're thankful for this ministry that these two young men have, Lord, and have a desire to serve you. And Father God, Lord, we just pray, God, that this has the opportunity, Lord, ultimately to reach the world. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that this would reach somebody who needs you, Father. Lord, we pray, God, that this would reach somebody, Lord, in a dark day, Lord. Lord, that they don't see a way out, but Father God, Lord, I pray that they would see you. And Lord, I pray ultimately they would come to salvation, Father. Lord, for if we just reach one, Lord, it's worth every bit of effort we have. And Father God, we just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to bless us, Lord. Lord, and we can't, Lord, thank you enough for what this time of year is, Lord, for Easter, Father. For, for you completing the plan, Lord, when you said it's finished, the plan of salvation, Lord. The, the sacrifice that was needed. Father, we just pray, God, for all things. Lord, be with each and every one of us. We'll just ask this all in Jesus' loving name. Amen. Amen.